We know what we are, but know not what we may be. That's a little old quote from my dear old pal William Shakespeare. Um, I wanted to start this quote because I think it represents and it's a good intro to what are we going to talk about today. Hi, my name is Diego Casasnovas, and this is Let's Talk Acting. First of all, I want to say thank you for everyone that tuned in to our last episode. I truly was not expecting that much um, response to my last podcast, my last episode. We are official, uh, officially international. We've had a couple people from the UK and we've had a couple people from um, South Africa as well. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Um, what started uh, off as a little project for my classmates, it's starting to feel a little bit more than just that. So thank you. Now, uh, this is episode two. And how I mentioned in our last episode, we're going to talk a little bit about text and how we as, we as actors approach our script. And for that, I have a very, very, very special guest today, which I'm so thankful she said yes. Um, I have Sharon Brady here. Hi, Sharon. How are you? I'm fine, Diego. How are you, honey? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Very, very grateful for you and for everything that life throws our way. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Yes. Uh, Sharon, uh, please tell a lovely audience who are you hmm well let's see i'd have to do a script analysis on myself i guess to really figure that one out but uh <laughs> <laughs> well uh my name is sharon brady i've been an, an actor uh for more than 40 years i've been in aea and sag after since 1980 uh, i've been teaching here at point park for the last about 20 years i teach acting uh, not this year, however, I'm teaching uh, script analysis and an introduction to the arts for non-majors, which is fun. I hold an MFA from Yale School of Drama. I worked in New York a lot of off and off off-Broadway many years ago. And I've been living back here in Pittsburgh for where, where I was raised for about the last um, 25, 25 years or so. And uh, that's about it. I uh, love teaching. I love sharing what knowledge I have left up there in my head with kids keeps me young i think i'd like to hope so and um married to the same man for 38 years i have a beautiful 29 year old daughter they're both doing well so uh life is life is good life is good yes which you're gonna know that that knowledge she has up there is very useful you're gonna see in a little bit what i'm talking about so sharon um before I start with a little segment so that people get to know you a little bit better, um, why acting? Why did you chose acting, this industry? Uh, I think acting chose me. I mean, it's the quintessential example of a profession in which many are called and few are chosen. And by chosen, I mean to be able to really make it a living solely as an actor. It's That's rarefied. That's very very lucky if you can do that. Some do, most don't. So we get to develop our skills uh, 
and share our gifts in other ways, which is what teaching is for me too. And I did some political activism in my community. I organized a, how I've got a playground renovated, stuff like that. Uh, but uh, I came upon acting. I did not go to a high school performing arts. I went to a draconian Catholic school. We had no art. Uh, there was nothing like that. Um, no theater, no nothing. Um, and I didn't know, I, I graduated from high school. I wasn't set for college. I hated school. And uh, I left my hometown after a couple of years of working and just knocking around. And I went out to California and uh, I went to Southern California to stay with some friends just to kind of find out who I was, if you will, did the old go to California to find out who you are thing. That was me. <laughs> that was in the 1970s, early 70s, early to mid 70s, early 70s, I guess. So I went out and um, I had never been to the theater, never went to never we never went to the theater we'd go to the drive-in that's our thing we were blue collar <laughs> working class we went to the drive-in um and uh i was out just knocking around one night and i passed this little theater which is now a big theater in southern california and it was in a, it was a little storefront theater and they were doing midsummer night stream mm -hmm. and uh on a whim i bought a ticket I didn't know Shakespeare. We never had to read a play. I was terrified. I thought I wasn't going to understand anything, whatever. So uh, I bought a ticket. I walked in and I was totally and completely transformed. And I mean that sincerely. And I walked out and I said, that's what I do. That's it. I'm an actor. That's it. That's what I do. And I never look back. And from that moment on, my life was totally dedicated in, in, to becoming an actor, if you will. So, and I have to ask because you're not the first one that have told or have expressed either in class or outside of class that Mid Midsummer Night's Dream was the play that they first saw huh. when they became or when they decided to become an actor. What was it? Was it the play? Was it Shakespeare? Was it the performance? What was it that struck your heart and said, this is what I want to do. I don't think it was the play so much because as an actor, um, I don't yearn to do Shakespeare all the time. I mean, I, I, you know, I have contemporary stuff too. Do you know what I mean? So it's not like I yearn to do the classics constantly. Uh, so I don't think it was the play particularly. I think it was the event, the theater, to be able to see a communion with people up on stage and 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 just experiencing that that's that's what it was for me it was the whole shebang of it and it looked like so much goddamn fun too <laughs> <laughs> i thought wait a minute you get paid or the well you know a, a little bit you know uh but yes uh yeah you get paid to get to be a little kid to be know? a little kid yeah just to have so fun that was it. so i think diego it wasn't the play particularly i think it could have been any play perhaps uh, but it was Shakespeare, it was Midsummer, and uh, that was it. That was that was the beginning for me. That was it. And that was thank it. Thank God for that moment, because <laughs> I know you've changed a lot of actors, including me. Oh, thanks, so um, I'm gonna. I was sitting in my room the other day, and I was thinking, um, how can our listeners? get to know you a little bit better outside of you as an actress and all the knowledge you have of the theater. 
So I've piled up some questions. Uh oh. Some theater related, some not theater related. Um and they're gonna be in a rapid fire mode. So the Uh-oh. first thing that comes into your head, um, it, no, it's it, it it's not like sip sap sub, you know, it's not like impulse, <laughs> but it's the first thing that comes into your head. The first thing that when you hear the question comes into your head. Okay. Oh, good. Are you ready? Yep. Okay, let's play it. So, Sharon, what's your go-to breakfast? Um, a croissant. Uh, a croissant. A croissant. What's your favorite color? Color. Yes. Green. What's your favorite season? Fall. Oh, I love fall too. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Mm. Uh, what's your? F- I think, I think you're gonna like this one. What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. Mm. It's got the nice fricative, the <laughs> mid bow, and then that nice plosive at the end, <laughs> and it's terrific. <laughs> Sorry. And it goes with everything. And it goes with, with goes everything. With <laughs> it's like Coca Cola, babe. Yeah. It goes with everything. That's right. <laughs> Touche. Uh, a play that you love. Oh well, I love Long Day's Journey and Tonight. Uh, I love I, I love a lot of plays. So, um, what's a play that you not quite are fond of? Ooh, it's gonna get me into trouble with some people. Um, I was around San Francisco when Sam Shepard was starting, kind of sort of at the Magic Theater. Uh, And, uh, you know, I saw Cowboy Mouth and I saw some of his plays there. Um, And and I loved them then. But when I see recent productions of like Barry Child or True West, particularly, I just I don't think it's it's aging too well. Uh, And that's probably going to get me a lot of haters because I know there's a lot of people who love Sam Shepard. But but yeah, ask and that's that's my thought. Anyhow, it's my my two bits. So you you jumped into a question. That was another question about the playwright. Give me a play, a play that you're not fond of. Is it Very Child, True West? Which one? Um, I think True West more than Very Child. Okay. Yeah, I love that play. So see, <laughs> see there we go. Okay, <laughs> a playwright that you love. Chekhov. Chekhov. Oof. Um, I guess you answered that one already. A playwright that you're not fond of. Yeah. Okay. Let's not talk about what we're not fond of. It'll <laughs> get me a lot of haters there. An actor that you adore. Oh, God. An actor, actress. I love Edgar Ramirez. Uh, I love Meryl Streep. Of course, who doesn't? Uh, I love. Uh, 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 I mean, there's a, there's a, there's many actors that I just think are terrific. Seriously, um, an actor who is not particularly your favorite. Uh, mm. Well, I used to have one that I would use in an example in class, and I would say Adam Sandler because every time I would see him on television. I, I never really watched any of his comedies because I never thought they were funny movies. But when I would see him like on Saturday Night Live I would, or something, I would say, for me, he's an example of an actor that doesn't need an audience because he already knows he's funny. So, like, why bother? What, what am I there for? Hmm. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? Yes. But I, I have to take that back a little bit because the, the most recent movie he made where he played a 
a, a drug dealing. I can't remember the name of the movie, but it came out a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago or something. Mm -hmm. And I watched that at home one night and I thought, oh, it was pretty good. So perhaps when he was doing his comedy, he was just pushing so hard and, and, you know, I don't know, but I don't know. I, you know, anymore, I don't really, to tell you the truth, I don't really have strong opinions about things anymore. Okay. I mean, certainly when I watch things, I like them more than, than others, but I just appreciate the work, what, what goes into getting anything made anymore and how difficult it is, particularly for a play. If you're going to do a production, especially now in pandemic time and, and, and the theater after the pandemic, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to take a while to come back, you know? So, I mean, I, you know, and even before that, anytime that, a production got made it's like well whether i like it or not really is it, it, it's irrelevant because just the fact that it got done is 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 cause enough to celebrate because if i don't like something someone else will someone i mean someone else will that's true that's just the way it is i i feel i have the same mentality as well i know people that if a certain actor is in a movie they will not watch the movie just because they have strong opinions about their you know their craft and their work I feel like I I do appreciate everyone because it takes guts just to do it. Just to do it. And, um, and just to dive in into the shoes of that character and everything. So I do share the same um, mentality as you. But I have to say, I, I said that in the last episode. I mean, you give me some Viola Davis. You give me some Timothy yeah. Chalamet. Those... I mean, I yeah, just know right. they're going to be great performances. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. And um, our last question, what's your favorite Meryl Streep movie? Wow. Uh, hmm. I could say something obvious like Sophie's Choice because mm -hmm. it was so devastating. Uh, maybe that, actually. I do love and, Sophie's Choice. And also, uh, I, from what I understand, she was, you know, learning the dialect. She was what? She was Polish, correct? Yes. Was she Polish Catholic, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but then she spoke, she needed to speak German. So she learned Polish first so that she could learn German to speak German with a Polish accent. I mean, hello. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm taking a dialect <laughs> class right now, and that's something I appreciate even more. You know, making those, uh, you know, acting with a dialect that's not something everyone can do. So I truly admire that even more. Um, so yeah, that's the end of a rapid fire. I hope our listeners get to know what a I hope wild they animal don't hate you are. me for my choices. Yeah, wild yeah. animal, right? <laughs> Uh, I, I don't think so. I think our listeners are very, very well educated. Good. Okay, Sharon. So uh, let's jump in, shall we? Sure. Um, a script, text analysis. That's something, right? That's something. Yeah. Something. What is script analysis, Sharon? And how how do you define in simple words what is script analysis? Uh, okay. Before we before you answer that, what is a script so that our non-actors that are listening can understand what a script is? A script is the words of the play on a page, the dialogue on a page assigned to characters broken into acts and scenes with stage directions. That's a script. 
So, you know, it's, it's the written play. It's the words of a play. As I said, assigned characters, broken into scenes or acts usually. Uh, that's your script, mm-hmm. manuscript, actually. We use shorthand in the theater a lot, script. It's a script, it's a manuscript. So that's the script and, 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 and that's the script. So, you know, what is script analysis? Script analysis is just tearing apart a script, a script to get as much information as you can to, to be as truthful and bring as much of your imaginative self that you can put in the time and the place of the character to bear. And the more you know, it's like anything else, the more you know, the, 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 the better you will be. It's also important to be able for an actor, and I teach it from the point of view of the actor, not a dramaturg. I'm, I'm, an, I'm sorry, I'm not a dramaturg. I'm not a, a director. You know, I'm, I'm an actor. So that's the way I teach it. I teach it from the point of view of the actor. But it's very important too, so that the actor can be more of a, more of a collaborator at the table when you're talking. You know, you, you know, you're in production. You do your first read through. You know, you want to be able to. You know, what does this word mean? You know, you don't want to do that. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of script analyzing for the actor will be done on their own. If you're lucky, it'll be done at a group, you know, around the table. You know, if you're lucky, you'll have some help. You might have a dramaturg there pulling time and place events. Like if you're doing a play, you know, in, you know, in Germany, rebel theater, they call it between the wars, then perhaps you'll have a dramaturg that'll pull all that information for you so you can research it and look on your own. But, but if you're not lucky enough to have that, uh, then you do it yourself. And it's what I tell my students, you know, you have the wealth of the world's information in your pocket or purse there with your cell phone. So there's really no reason to not know things mm-hmm. anymore. Do you know? Yes. So um, I feel like when you go into acting school or drama school or you're taking any any acting classes or theater classes, um, they talk a lot about the hidden work, you know, the work that you do behind the words. Uh-huh. Um, but then I feel like at times we forget how important it is to match it with the words. Because I, I truly believe that the words are or the script it's the the visual work because i mean the audience see you saying those words they see you they hear you saying those words right um how how important is it and i'm talking okay. about um i mean i cuz i am not english is not my first language uh-huh. and um i there are words when I first came here, there were words that, you know, I didn't know. So mm-hmm. how important it is to really understand the words and, you know, cause words, at, I mean, at times words are subjective. Um, they, they, they can mean different things, Correct. but the, you know, the, the writer shows those words for a reason. So how right. important it is to know what you're saying and how important it is to stay true to what the writer wrote? It is very important uh, because without doing that, if you don't do that, you're not conveying the, the author's purpose. You're not conveying the playwright's purpose of the play, which is to convey his or her thoughts and his or her vision. So without 
knowing that you're not really doing the playwright justice. And I just want to backtrack for a sec, because uh, you, you were talking about like how, you know, script analysis, and I think you were coming to like, how can you incorporate that? Well, I want to, I want to quote Robert Benedetti, who was a terrific acting teacher mm -hmm. that I had the uh, experience of, of working with a bit. And uh, he said that the actors, and this has always stayed with me because it's true. Uh, he said that the actor's process takes place in three places, three, three areas, if you will. Mm -hmm. And the first area is the analytical. That's when you get the script, right? Now, script analysis happen, happens in the analytical part of your brain. That is your, your, your thinking. You're using your brain. You're using your head. You know, you're doing your research. What does this word mean? How, why is she using it in this scene? Why, you know, what, what's going on? What, what's happening here? Uh, trying to figure out. What, what the spine of the play is, what, what the playwright's trying to say, trying to figure out what your function as a character is, let's say, you know. Uh, so it, it, the first part is the analytical part where you're thinking, you're using your brain. And then the second part, and, and I'm talking about like a rehearsal process, let's say. Uh, and then the second part's when you start getting up on your feet and it starts going percolating down from the brain a little bit. You know, you're still holding your script, you're walking around, but it's getting into the psychophysical of your body. How do they walk? How do they hold your energy? How do they speak? Do they speak uh, roughly? Do they speak formally? Why? Do you know how, how do they carry themselves? Uh, where's their energy? How, do they look like they're pissed off at the world or do they look open? What, do they walk with a limp? You can't do Lauren Glass Menagerie without that limp. Babe, mm -hmm. can't do it, you know. So you start going into the psychophysical of it. So you take the analytical, all the work that you've done, and then you start that starts percolating down, if you will, mm -hmm. into the body for the psychophysical because you're looking at the physical and the psychological kind of aspects of the character now. And I'm talking about individually character because I, as I said, I teach it from the point of view as an actor, mm -hmm. right? So uh, and then. The third part and the most important part is the transformational part. And that's where the breath comes in. Because all that time we spend harping on deep diaphragmatic breaths and breathing and, and freeing up your, your, your chambers and your resonators and, and getting yourself out of your own way. Yes. All that time we spend on the breath work, it's because the breath is the bridge between that and when you get to the transformational part of the actor's process you throw those two things out the window the analytical goes out the window and the psychophysical goes out the window because then they mold and they meld and the breath takes over and the breath acts as the bridge between the brain the mouth the words the gut the emotion and the body the action and that's where you know because you might if you ever heard me in acting class, you might hear me screaming, get out of your head, you know, because you're still you're up there trying to perform, trying to do the scene rather. But you're you're in your head. You're still like thinking you're still how does this look? How do I look? What am I doing? What's my next line? You know, you're still up there in your head. So without doing the back work, the hidden work, as you called it, the back work, what you're doing is just pretty much bullshitting your way through it. Now, you can get away with that. People that are very talented can get away with that. You can get away with that, mm -hmm. but it's unfortunate because you'd be ever so much better if you didn't. And if you're going to be doing a long run of something, 
for, two, for a year, let's say you're doing cat, whatever, maybe not necessarily a musical, but you're doing a long run of something. There are going to be nights where you just aren't into it. But you owe that audience the best you can give because they spent a lot of money and they're giving you your time and they, you owe them the best that you can do. So that's when your technique kind of comes into play. So without the technique that you have to help you kind of take over when you're not feeling 100% positive in the moment all the time, you know, and that's the, where the discipline of doing the hidden work comes from. And that's why it's so important. Does that answer your question? I think it does. Yes. Um, now I want to get more into the scripts as a whole. Um, do we have just one type of script? Is, no. is, is everything the same? Everything linear? Um, no. no. Can, you, can you please uh, talk a little bit more about this, the types and the structures of a play? Because sure. if you grab a Carrot Churchill play, it's not going to be the same as uh, Eugene O'Neill or Correct. August Wilson. So Correct. if you could expand a little bit more so we can, uh, so the listeners know if they grab a script, if they, if they want to read a play or they're seeing a play, it's not, they're not all the same. There are different structures. Sure. So sure. please expand on that. Sure. Uh, most plays follow what, what's called a linear structure. Uh, it's, it's, it's a cause and effect. This happened and it made that happen and it made that happen and then it made that happen and then that got bigger and it got harder and it got, and, and then the big fight happened and then, and then everything settled down and the end. That's kind of how most scripts are written. They're very uh, written in a very linear fashion. Do you know? Uh, some scripts aren't. Now, I am. Don't don't hate me for this. This is a term that I came across, and I think it's kind of good because it 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 that 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 play structure that I just kind of uh, explained or kind of gave you an example of. It's, it's a linear structure. It's also called, a, interestingly enough, a masculine structure. <laughs> okay. Uh, cause and effect. You know, you have the backstory. You know, you have the cause and effect. This happened. The rising action, rising action, rising action, rising action. The inciting incident rather than the rising action. And then the crisis. Then the conflict. And, the cri and then the... And then the denouement. And the unraveling. And the end. All right, that's kind of the way most plays are structured. However, some plays are not structured like that. And okay, interestingly enough, uh, they were called feminine structured plays, which is, you know, take it or leave it. But I think it's because a lot of male critics back in the day did not know what the hell they came across when they saw a production of a Carol Churchill play, which is why I use Top Girls in my class because it's a terrific example of that. Churchill introduces a theme. What does, it, what does it take for a woman to succeed in the man's world? And it is by no means a linear story. The first act is the lead character with all these characters from different points in history, some real, some not. You know, and then the second act is her in her business and in her private life. And there's flashbacks so it, they, she introduces a theme and then has motifs or riffs, if you will, on the theme of it. So that's, 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 that's not a cause and effect play. 
So if you get your hands on that, sometimes it's like, what the hell is this? Well, look for the theme of it. And then look for the different motifs on the theme of it. Then, of course, there's absurdist plays like Waiting for Godot. Mm -hmm. You throw all this psychological stuff right out the window because mm -hmm. it has no place in it. You play moment by moment. And, and it's, it's, it's just the way that it is, you know? So they're, they're kind of, then you have uh, an episodic play where, where each scene is a, an episode, like episodic TV, it has a beginning, middle and end. It, it's kind of a self-contained unit, if you will. So you could think of like, uh, there's a play, a great play called Wojciech. Uh, and, and sometimes directors just take it and rearrange the scenes in it because it doesn't matter because it's not, it, not everything builds to the final climax. Each scene is episodic, it's self-contained, but it, again, it it's kind of rotates around a theme. So if you get a play that, that seems to be like, what is this? It's not like written the way things usually are. Then, then look for the theme of it or look for what the, what the author's trying to say, because there are different types of plays. It's just the more, the more linear plays structure is the one we're used to, you know? And um, can these types of plays, can, can they also be introduced into a film? Or is that mostly for theater? I don't know. I mean, I guess they could. I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm no expert in film. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I most of my work is on the stage. I I have done some film. I've been in some movies, but most of my 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 experience as an actor is stage work. But as far as like ad adapting mm -hmm. scripts for film, I'm trying to think of the film. Most of the adaptations that I've seen have been linear scripts. I think. And going off of that linear script, I've heard. Uh, a lot of people um, talk about a linear play as similar to a hero's journey. Can yes. you expand on that? And for those of you who do not know what a hero's journey is, can you also expand on that? Well, a hero's journey is like the, the Odysseus, let's say. You take the protagonist of a play, the main character of a play. So he starts out, you get a little bit of his backstory. And then he has an inciting incident. He something happens to him. Uh, usually, that sets has to set him against up against something big and evil, more big and evil than himself, right? So then he has all these obstacles that he has to overcome, or all these dragons to slay, or whatever is he it is he has to do until he has the big the big conflict, and then the big fight and then there he is then he either dies or he's the hero you know that's how i would that's how i would describe it anyhow pretty to the point it's, it's kind of like point. any fairy tale you know basically you know yeah so um so now it's important for us if we're analyzing a script to know what type of structure we have right so yes, we can then go from there absolutely It absolutely is. So if you get a script and you're not sure, like, hmm, you know, well, if, well you can probably Google it if it's if it's published play, you know, and get a little information on it, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, but you you'll be able to tell. 
you know, cause and effect. If it's not cause and effect, that'll be pretty clear pretty quickly, I would think. Do you know? So a question that I have is um, when you're in an acting class um, and you are ready to go to give your first, you know, showing of a scene or a monologue, one of the first things that uh, they tell you is that don't watch anyone else do it. Because then it can get on the way of you, um, give it, uh, you know, discovering some stuff, doing a breakthrough. How do you it, do? You yeah. think that applies the same thing as when I am reading or when I buy a play or when I'm cast in a play? Do you think it's the same as look going on Google and looking at what the play is and a, a little synopsis of the characters and 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 the and the play, or does that uh, that doesn't matter, you know. Well, I, I think you can. I, I think you can use every tool you can, but that's but but the but the point is you don't stop there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like for Shakespeare plays. A lot of people who aren't familiar with Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. You know, you go, oh my God, there's so many characters, there's so many plots. Christ, you know, you got the pants plays, you got women running around dressed as men. I don't know who the hell's who, and what, and then their names, and uh, yeah, there's so and the language. I, it's, and the language and the language hard. there you go and i say google a synopsis so you know what you're going to read but then read it then read the play uh, you know and, and i want to go back to a minute about you know what what people you know say that don't you know don't look at anybody who's done anything mm -hmm. I, I, I take it i'm not so sure i'm agreeing with that okay so you have your uh, opinions about that I absolutely do. What do you th so I want I want to know your opinion. What do you think about that? Because back in the day before everybody got stuck needing to pay tons of money to go to college to be an actor, all right? Mm -hmm. Back in the day, how did people learn this craft? What did they do? By watching others. That's right. You wanted to be an actor, you'd go to a play, you'd knock on the door. Hi. I want to be an actor. Come on in. Scrub these bathrooms. And I Play think costumes and watch backstage and watch the pros work. Now, the reason I think people say that is they don't want you out there imitating mm -hmm. someone, which is true, which is true. But the fact that artists, as Ramir Bearden said, artists are like a whale. They have to be swimming around with their mouths wide mm -hmm. open and they're getting influence from everything and everyone. So, you know, if you have to do something that, um, I don't know. Who's your favorite actor? Um, actor. Uh, I mean, just pick someone. Yeah, I, I have to say Timothy Chalamet. Was okay. Her, yes. So if you had to do, let's say he was in a play and you're doing that same play or, or whatever it is. If you had the opportunity to watch him do something that you were then going to have to do, would you not do it? Yes. I mean, you watch and you learn. Yes. Now, what, why I think why why that kind of has become such a trope in, in in acting schools is they don't want you out there mimicking and imitating. You know, I'm going to go out and do my greatest Catherine Hepburn imitation for you today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they they don't you know they don't want that. You know, they want to be you. But what I think that 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 diminishes is the fact that we are influenced by everything and everyone. Mm -hmm. And, even, you know, uh, any artist who, who tells the truth says, I steal from everybody, you know, and, and, and you don't, you know, you, you steal from everybody, 
you steal from everything in life. You steal from everything. An actor, you walk down the street, they walk, they walk kind of interesting. I'm going to save that. And um, I have to say, then I you, think when you incorporate it, then it becomes you. Yeah. You know? And I think the best example of that is, uh, you know, Eugene O'Neill says the best in Long Day's Journey with Tyrone. That's how Tyrone started acting. Isn't yeah. that right? Yeah. He watched. He, he watched. He, he, he was uh, working in a theater company and he watched and he, then he became, you know, he right. went to be the one of the best actors, Shakespearean and actors. And he worked really hard. Yep. So I do, I do think, I feel like that's something that um, they say now in, in drama school first because they don't want you imitating and they don't want you to limit yourself when you're doing a breakthrough. Like I'm doing a checkoff class right now and um, one of the things that our professor tells us is that don't watch anyone because then you will have that image of that person. And I don't want you doing that, which I totally understand. Yeah, I mean, I understand It's understandable, that. but I do agree with you. We, as actors, we are observers of life. We yes, steal. We grab. We grab yeah. what works for us. And I, I have to say, I do, I do agree with you about that. Now I want to um, jump into, because we've done a lot about structures and a lot of like the importance of script analysis. I want to dig in into the script. So Sharon, when you grab a script for the first time, what is the first thing you do? Well, if I'm cast in the play, I will be honest and do what every other actor does, whether they admit it or not, which is to open it up and see how big your role is. <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger, of course, I wanted the big ones. Now that I'm older, I'm looking at what's the line load, baby. I got one scene here. Terrific. That's groovy. You, you, okay? count, you count the lines, you know, how many lines? <laughs> the lines. What's the line load, babe? Okay, so, uh, you know, usually, to be honest, an actor will look at it and go, how big's my role? Okay, mm -hmm. but the first time you read a play, and I'm talking about like doing it either for a, a scene in class or a monologue or something, then then uh, you read it for joy. Just read it. Read it for pleasure. First time you read it, because you're reading a lot. What are you looking in that first read? Are you're, you're not analyzing strictly. No, you're just I, no, absorbing I think, everything, right? I think you're just reading it. I mean, seriously, you just just read it mm -hmm. and, and see what your takeaway is from it, because you're going to be reading it a lot more. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, I, I'm not at least this is how I work. Mm -hmm. I don't like dive in head first right in. Oh, first scene. Let's say no, no, no. no. I, I try to get a general wash of the whole thing and what I think the playwright's trying to see and see how accurate I am mm -hmm. <laughs> after you do do your analysis. And, 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 and also, if you're cast in the play, what the function of my role is. If it's a small role, which I usually get because I'm a character actress, so I get small roles. You know, the whole thing, there's no small roles, just sm small actors. Well, that's bullshit. There are small roles. You know, <laughs> hello, hello, dear. You're, yes, my lord, your horse is here or whatever it is. That's, that's it. You know, and you're off. But every role has a function. And that's the thing you have to find, especially in the small roles. What is their function? Is it to give information? Is it to cover a, a costume change for one of the lead characters? Sometimes in a lot of restoration plays and stuff, that's what you'll have. You'll have the maid or something coming in just for some silly little scene, just so that they can be costume changes for one of the leads. You know, so you have to understand what your kind of function is. Uh, but then, you know, you go back and you read the play and you, and you start getting serious about it. 
and you and and then you start reading it mm-hmm. and you read it in depth and anything that you don't know you 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 anything you don't anything i don't understand i mean i've learned so much stuff as a as a human being by reading plays mm-hmm. because i'd have to go to i'd say what does that mean do you know what i mean and then you go look it up and you say oh okay oh that's why they're saying that right now oh i get it you know and when you go to that table read with your cast or whatever um i've heard different mixed opinions about whether you should go already with uh an idea of your character and the play. And I've also uh, heard people that go to the first table read without knowing anything, without reading the first, the play, the, the play, not even once. So I think that's a mistake. Do you think that's a mistake? Absolutely. To okay. not read it once. because you, you want, you want to be, sta- you want to be at the table tripping over words. You don't know how to pronounce because you haven't even taken the time to read it through yet. At least your part. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think that's a very good look, to be quite frank. Uh, but I would say to, uh, you know, at the first, ta- before first table read, I, I, I read the play. Absolutely. Just for that very reason I mentioned. What is, is there something here I don't know how to pronounce? Is there something here I don't know what the hell's going I don't understand what's going on. I, you know, it's not that I'm going to come out with an understanding of my character and everything in the play, because it's the discovery process of rehearsal that you have for that. But I'm certainly going to go in with a with a with a with a comfortable enough feel for the text that I'm not going to be worried about tripping over myself. Now that's a difference between a cold read. A cold read is that, but a cold read that's a that's a, that's the circumstances. I think coming to a first table read without doing any work at all is pretty risky, and I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't suggest that. Mm-hmm. However, you don't want to be you don't want to come in with a bulletproof idea of your character either this is who she is this is what she wants because you have, might have a director that go whoa wait a minute you know because you want to leave yourself open to discovery mm-hmm. too but you do want to have some a little bit of a base and at least for the first table read that's the text that you can at least read it and and like i said beforehand and 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 just be able to see what you know again mostly for is there anything here i don't understand or i can't pronounce You know, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want any surprises, uh, you know. Sharon, does the text gives us everything we need as an actor? Um, it gives us 90, it gives us a good blueprint of what we need. The text is the blueprint. The actor builds the house, if you will. Mm. The actor and the director build the house. They bring it to life. But the text is the, 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 the the text is the blueprint of the house that's why you need to you can't deviate from the text but you need to create the house mm-hmm. so my husband's an architect so yeah. <laughs> you know. uh, but you know do you know i mean that's the blueprint mm-hmm. you can't you know you can't as an actor you can't like play an action that doesn't come out of the given circumstances it doesn't make any sense because mm-hmm. you're not conforming to the blueprint of the text mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I do. Uh, and and so there goes, uh, and it, that gives passage to my next question. Um, we've read the play once. We know what the play is about. We know uh, how big our character is. We know, uh, you know, our character. We know, you know, we've had our first read. Um, can you please explain 
for those who are not in acting school cuz frankly I did, I was like you I went to Catholic school we didn't have a, a an acting class we didn't have theater we only had one spring musical we didn't even have a play we had a spring musical mm-hmm. uh so when I came here thank god um I had my first acting teacher was uh Phil Winters here and yeah. thank god he uh took me by the hand cuz I didn't even know what was a given circumstance? I didn't even know what was a beat. I don't even know. I didn't even know anything. I just knew that there were acts and there were scenes in a script, in a play. Can you please explain uh, what is a given circumstance? You know, the five question, who, what, where, who, why, and, you know, that's when? It. I mean, that's it. That's uh, it. A and given then circumstance. can you tell us uh, what is a beat as well? Sure. So that our, uh, you know, our our listeners can have a better understanding of what we're talking about. Sure. Uh, well, as Diego said, the given circumstances of a play are basically the five W's in journalism. Mm-hmm. Who, what, when, where, and why. Okay. And when you're looking at a play, you want to look at the time of the play. That is like the period that it's written. A play that's written in, uh, let's, for instance, there's going to be a lot of plays written about being quarantined in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to those. You know, so, so, but let's just think for a moment. There's going to be, now we all know how that feels because that's mm-hmm. our, that's everyone's, we have, everyone has a shared given circumstance. We are in a middle of a global pandemic, whether you believe it or not, whether you wear a mask or not, whatever. We are in the middle of a global pandemic. That's mm-hmm. everyone's given shared circumstances. But let's say a play that's written today about being in this shared given circumstance of a global pandemic let's say some acting student 60 years from now picks it up to do a scene from it in class or 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 they're going to do a production of it or something without knowing the circumstances of what it's like to be or imagining because we never know but we can use our imaginations Mm -hmm. which is the actor's greatest gift to imagine what it's like in doing as much research as possible to be in a global pandemic, how are you going to do that role? How are you going to do that role any justice? How are you going to do that production any justice? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do. So given circumstances are just circumstances. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have them in life. What's your circumstance? What's your socioeconomic circumstance? Rich, middle class, poor, working class, really rich. What are you? Mm-hmm. What's, what race is you? What race is you? Are you? What race are you? Mm-hmm. And how does that affect your circumstance? Okay. What, 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 what are the politics of the day? Hmm. Pretty, pretty horrible for a while here, I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's the spirituality, do you know, going on? What's, what's the intellect and culture of the play of the time? Do you know, uh, you know, we look at long day's journey and tonight, the, the men, are very well read. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a great Shakespearean actor. He mm-hmm. was until he cashed in and sold out to do the Monica, uh, Count of Monte Cristo, the dad, right? Mm-hmm. But um, you know what? What is your what is your? So a given circumstance is a circumstance that is given to the character by the playwright, basically. And it's basically the five journalism questions: who, what, when, where, and why. So. Uh- I want to go uh, brief, uh, ex- explaining each one. So a who, when we're talking about a who, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the character. 
who are they who are but it's a big who who are they in relationship to themselves who are they in relationship do they have family are they you know who are they in relationship to their neighbors or their or their whatever the whatever circumstance the playwright has put this character in he has given them a relationship to other people that is probably dependent or that I, sh I should say that comes out of who the character is that the playwright has written. The son hates, the mother hates the son, mm -hmm. for instance, or something. Do you know what? And Do you want to answer your question? Yes. Uh, so I want, I want to also uh, explain that we can, we, we're talking about in, in, in the actor's point of view, about our characters, but if we're analyzing a play, we can also use these five questions. Can we or can we sure. not? Can yes, we use I the who, so. who is the main uh, sure. character? Who is you know? he? Who is he? Who is he or she? Is she mm -hmm. married? Is he, you know, do they love their husband or wife? Are they married? Do they have children? Mm -hmm. Do they work? Do they have a steady Eddie job? Or are they, are they scrambling for money all the time? What, what are they religious? Do they believe in God? Is that, is that making any reference? Uh, to uh, there, are there is there spirituality made mention in the play at all? Do you know, so you can. There's a whole lot of stuff you can pull from. Uh, uh, you know, it's also important to pay attention to what other people say about your character mm -hmm. in the play, and and be able to differentiate between fact and opinion. Mm -hmm. So, and that all goes in the who. When we that jump, goes in the who. When we jump into the what, what are we talking about? What's the what? What do they want and what are they going to do to get it? Now, acting is action, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about getting what you want, whatever it is. Every character has actions which lead to goals. They, what do they want? And we can, want? we can use the what in the whole sense of the play in our character but we can also break it down into our scenes what do sure, we want in our scene what, absolutely is that because correct if, uh, that's correct because if you use the what in the whole thing of the character that's what, what what's it, what's the word uh it could be called the spine of the character like what their big what is mm -hmm. their, what do they their main objective their main objective their main yes. goal their main goal and then the scenes will be broken down because sometimes they'll have to change your actions to get what they want. And we talk already about the where and the when. You already talked about all the, you gave the example, the great example about the pandemic and the, the quarantine and everything. And I think, um, I think I'm talking about myself as an actor, but I think this question is the one I'm always the most troubled about and the one I have to do the most research is the why. I think that that takes a little bit um, more analysis than the other ones because in the who you can go and you know look at the character descriptions and then you can read the play and like you know you can get a a, a, a sense. But when you break down the why and not just the why in the whole play, but the why in each scene in each conversation, um, there's some pretty heavy text analysis in that isn't there Shannon? yes because a lot of the whys if you're talking to particularly about a, a linear text as we talked about a psychologically driven li linear text like based on reality right that the why is very heavy because the why will be changing your why will be changing 
because of someone else's why. Why did you do this to me? Why did you yell at me? Why did you tell me you didn't love me? Well, I told you you didn't love me because you told me you didn't love me. Why did you say that? Well, do you understand what I'm saying? I do. So the why change because of the interaction that we have with the other characters. Mm-hmm. And now, um, now that we have a, a, a broader sense of the given circumstances, uh, what is a beat? How can you describe a beat? I wished I would remember the woman's name. I want to say Sonia Moore, uh, and I think that might be correct. Uh, the word beat just means bit, a little bit. And uh, I believe it was Sonia Moore who uh, was an acting teacher who taught uh, the Stanislavski stuff in New York, and she came from Russia. She had studied with Stanislavski, and she had a big Russian dialect. So when she was writing the scene, she would say, okay, let's just start a little beat, a little beat, a little beat. So she actually meant a little bit of the scene, bit, but it sounded like beat, so it became beats. And a beat is how is, is kind of like where something changes. Uh, there's external beats and internal beats. Like an actor, we, we talked about the actor's why and, and what. What does he want, he, he, he or she want, and how they're going to get it. Well, if they're, not, if, they, if, they're, if they're acting a certain way and that's not working, then they're going to change their action, right, and do something else. So that's a beat. That's an internal beat. I'm not getting what I want, so let me try something else. Babies or infants or toddlers are really good at this. They'll cry. That's not working. Beat change. Now they're like, now they're laughing. Anything, <laughs> anything to get what they want, right? They, they try all these things. It's all beat changes, right, for them. Uh, so beats when they're in, in either an external or internal shift in either the character or the scene. And by that, you know, if the phone rings, ring, ring, okay, that's usually a beat change because it's information. The doorbell rings, ding dong, whoop, that's usually a beat change because there's somebody coming into the scene that's going to change the dynamic of the scene. So uh, beats are internal or external. They're, they're, they're little chunks, if you will, of, of a scene. And they, can, and they are very, very small. They can be very, very small. They can be they one can or be two very lines, small. right? They can be very small. Some people think there's only you can only have so many. I, I never thought that. I think you can have as many beat changes as the playwright writes in there. If you're smart enough to see them, <laughs> um, so yeah, so we we have um, so basically our play is broken down in acts, and then plays are broken down into acts, and then scenes usually, not always, right? And they can be as many scenes, and the scenes can be how long as the the writer wants. Is that well, correct? usually? Uh, well, I mean, anything goes, I guess, when you're writing a play, but most 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 plays follow a three-act structure. Mm-hmm. Well, A Long Day's Journey is four acts, so mm-hmm. he goes off the rails with this one. But most plays have a three-act structure. Most, not all. Most. Do you know Shakespeare has five acts? Five, I think. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, but most, I would say, modern modern drama has three acts. And some 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 acts, Act One, Act One might have three scenes in it might have five scenes. It might have no scenes. Just be the whole act is a scene. Mm. It depends on how the playwright has broken down the play, how he's, he or she has divvied the play up mm-hmm. to kind of get across what they're trying to get across. 
you know. And I'm glad you mentioned Shakespeare because it gives me a pathway to my next question. Um, there is a difference, in my opinion, there's a big difference when you're analyzing um, a contemporary play with a classical play. Uh, many say that, you know, many think that a contemporary play when you're acting is most about the words that are not said. And that's what the actor, that's what the actor uses in most, I mean, sometimes in many cases in contemporary plays. But when we're talking about a classical play, when we're talking about a Shakespeare, when you're, when we're talking about, you know, Moliere and all all those uh, uh, playwrights, it's about what it's in the text instead of what's hidden behind the text. Is that correct? That's correct uh, because there's not a lot of subtext in in the in the in the classical plays. They said it, they put it right on the page, but I still think you have to analyze it in pretty much almost the same way. You know, you'll have more language to deal with, certainly. And you know, is that when you have more language, is that better for the actor? Is that um, not necessarily better or worse? Um, how do you see it? Well, it's more lines to learn, certainly, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it, well, I, it, you know, I, I, it's not better or worse. It's just the way that the play is written. Mm-hmm. Like Shakespeare takes a whole page to say, what's up? <laughs> That's correct. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and you really need to kind of get in. Uh, again, I, I think analyzing is important, though, because you go back to the time and place of how these people spoke. Mm-hmm. And there's well, there was a much more luxury of language than we have. Uh, we have an idea, but we don't have any recordings or any videos or anything that shows how people act in that time period. Is that correct? Well, we I'm sure ass- they're. I'm we just sure assume they're in a way. Well, we can assume as actors and stuff, but I'm sure they're historical books that 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 really denote kind of time and place of a certain period. Do you know? But I think back in the day, people had their their love of language they loved language more than we do mm-hmm. we love action That's they true. love they love they love language you know uh, they they you you went to a as a matter of fact from what i understand when they would go in shakespeare's time and stuff when that when they would go because shakespeare wrote for everybody not just for the intellect and who could read and everything mm-hmm. else but for the people who were in the pits mm-hmm you know, who, who were illiterate and everything else. That's why he always had so many plot lines and in it. But you would, they, it was said that they would, they would say, I'm going to go hear a play tonight. Not see a play. Hear a play. Because Shakespeare was all about poetry. Is that correct? Because it was all about hearing the language. And we've, I think we've lost, I think our attention span has diminished so much. Mm-hmm especially with all the technology. You know, we want instant gratification. Done. Yep, ba, 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 ba. And 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 then you're going to ask this, you know, these are your these are your audiences, Diego. Seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, the 20s, 30s, you know, year old who've been on, you know, have their cell phones and stuff and been on Instagram since they were 8 years old and mm-hmm. expect, you know, immediate stuff. Now you're going to be that's your audience that you're going to be up there doing Henry 3 or Richard 3 rather with them so you're gonna have to bring them along for this Mm -hmm. long ride Mm -hmm. of a a lot of monologues and a lot of language i think we just have a different relationship to language than they did back in the day which is why everything was much more effusive 
there was they, they, the people spoke they they just had a different relationship with language it was about speaking instead of talking mm-hmm. I think I like that yes you know what I'm saying yes I do I, I like that I've never never thought of it that way and I do agree. we are more visual yes and I and I do agree I feel like um I do now because I mean I, I studied I had a year and a half of Shakespeare and um and I and I, I mean I had history of theater when we when we had to like look at all these old plays and stuff like that so I think I've developed a little bit more love for the language now and a lot of respect for the language um but I do agree I feel like we are a little bit more disconnected with the language we are more visuals we want special effects we want a lot of lighting we want a, a beautiful sets we want beautiful costumes um and not necessarily big beautiful text um and i and i do i do agree with that um so to wrap up everything up that we've discussed because we've had a lot of different topics um can we go as just imagine you just got cast in a play and you I've handed you the script. Can you go step by step of what will you do to from the beginning till you uh take the the script down and start using that language in a rehearsal break? What is what are the steps that you do uh to really analyze that character? Well, I start by reading the play mm-hmm. a couple times. I start by breaking it. Now, see, it can get tricky because sometimes a director will do it differently. If you know, if the, if a director breaks it down into what what sometimes people call them units, or sometimes they call them French beats, but you know, smaller chunks, mm-hmm. bigger than beats, but smaller chunks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of the of the play. If that's already done in a rehearsal, that would be great. Then I start um, start working on it. I just start reading it. I start trying to. I start understanding it. I try. I, I, I start to try to get it into my body, if you will. I uh, again, if there's anything I don't understand, I research. Okay. Um, I. I it, it's it's kind of a peel the onion kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know, and it, it it's hard to kind of describe, but I just every with every reading of it, I will kind of try to make sure that my understanding of it goes a little bit deeper mm-hmm. than than previously, mm-hmm. and that I that as an actor I want to be clear, I want to go into rehearsals with choices about what I make, about what kind of actions I'm playing, that I can justify supporting by the script, okay. Uh, do you know if, if it's a question with the director? Why are you why are you doing this? Well, I think because it, here he says this, which makes me do this. That's why. Uh, do you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it's just a question. It, it's just a process of reading it and reading it and reading it, and kind of getting it into your body. And again, anything that you don't know, you look up. You do some research on the on the on the time period of it. And the place of it, if you if you if you don't feel totally familiar and comfortable with it, so you can kind of at least get a sense of what what the time was like there for the people, and uh, 
you just start getting it into your body. I don't know how else to say it. I feel like we've talked a lot about, you know, script analysis and text and everything. Um, and we, I feel like when we go into a rehearsal room, we have all this knowledge and all this. Um, I mean, after, because uh, you as an actor need to do, you know, the table work. You need to sit down. You need to, you know, read and research and stuff like that. But when you're actually in the studio, you I feel like we take, we put everything in a chair and then it's all about our scene partner. What he gives us or she or he gives us is what we react or what we give back. That's so absolutely I feel true. like we could have all the knowledge in the world and all the research in the world. But at the end of the day, you just have that as backup because at the end of the day is what your actor your you know your scene partner and you as an actor bring into the studio i feel like that's why it's so hard to do acting school online because i feel we rely a lot on the energy and other people we when we're Absolutely. creating that when you're in and i feel like especially like me when i'm taking a, a checkoff class or whatever i'm not in a creative space because i'm in my room i'm in my apartment i'm you know i'm i'm in the same place where i you know snore and sleep at night i'm in the same place where i take a shower where i do you know my my dump stuff you know so i feel like that's why i feel like acting online has been so hard for many of us because we just miss that you know i feel like the most beautiful experiences in theater is not doing the show but actually working up to the show it's that rehearsal process that you know the friendships and the not so friendships that you create in the space uh So I do, I, 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 I mean, every actor has its own way of approaching the text and every actor has its own way of, of um, you know, s being able to serve the text in a rehearsal space. But I feel like at the end of the day, it's just about the actor and the target, if you know what I mean. I do. So, But the more you work you do, the more arrows you have in your quiver, right? I, 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 yes, I totally agree. It's like you have, you have like, all this knowledge sustaining you and i feel like you said it perfectly in the in the example when we started there are going to be times when you're not at it you're not 100 we're humans we go through shit every day we have our own demons everything but you still owe to that to the people that pay to the people that went and took time from their day from their night to go and see you perform and do what you love to do so you still have a duty at the end of the day is to work we love yeah. it we may love it as much as we do but at the end of the day it's work and work needs to be done so before uh we go into our little exercise that we have um we meant we, you mentioned it uh, at the beginning and i i, I wrote a note about it because i want i want to talk about it um i think one of the biggest uh uh You know, one of the, the things that scares us the most as actors when we're in an audition is when they grab a piece of paper and they give you a cold read. And they ask you, here you go. You have two minutes to do the scene with another person that you've never met before. Probably, will, if you don't get cast, you probably will never see again. How do you approach a cold read? You know, because I, I like in my experience, English is not my first language. And even though I dominated very well it's still frightening when i see words 
And even when you're an English speaker, I'm sure it's still terrifying because you do not have the time to actually prepare something. So how do you approach it, Sharon? Well, you analyze it very quickly. Uh, Diego, you, you, you are in a position, I, I would think, since English is not your first language, if you get a cold read, I hand you a piece of paper here. Here's your scene. Here's your, here. You're, you know, you got two minutes, blah, blah, blah. You just look it over and one thing pops up. How do you, excuse me, how do you pronounce this word? Mm. Ah. Okay. And tell you, okay. You read it as thoroughly as you can and you make as strong as choices as you can based on the material that you have in your hand, which is why the purpose of all acting school and all acting work should be to hone your instincts as an actor. Mm-hmm. If, if, if it's, uh, let's say, uh, she just came from her, her, you know, she is outside, Mary standing outside of the funeral home. Okay, so you know she just came from a funeral. Mm-hmm. So there's one. Mm-hmm. Now, depends on how she feels about the person that died. Now that should tell you, it should tell you that in a scene. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you glean as much information as possible as you can in the short time that you have. Mm-hmm. And then you make strong choices based on the information that you've gleaned mm-hmm. from from that short time. I happen to love cold reads. Oh, you do? I love them. I love them. That's a first. Oh, I love you don't, them. You don't see a lot of them like the like like you. I love cold reads. Mm, why is it's that? Impulse, it's it's it's. I can go on my impulse mm. because I feel like I'm. I, I've been around enough for a little bit to know that I can make a pretty good choice of 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 actions based on whatever script's given to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then I'll make pretty strong choices out of that for actions. I feel like for me, it's not because I. I mean, if you've ta- I mean, if you've taken a class with me, you know that I rely a lot on my impulse, and I, I'm really good with just letting my letting myself explore to see what I found. And maybe the thing that I found is that it doesn't work. But when I go into an audition, they give me a cold read, and and uh, you will not get a lot of cold reads in theater. That's basically more for film and stuff like that. Um, but. I feel like when I get a cold read, I'm I'm more most afraid of messing up the words. And you just keep up. right on going. You keep right on a talking. Unless you really screw something up majorly, you just keep right on talking. Okay. And try to incorporate any mistakes you make hmm. in your character. You just keep right on talking. Keep right on going. That's a very good piece of advice. I'm jogging it down. Maybe, uh, Diego, do you think you need to explain what a cold read is for those who might not know? Uh, yes. Uh, so a cold read, we call it a cold read. Um, that's basically, usually happens when you're, Uh, over the first round of auditions, if you're in a callback or something, uh, they will give you uh, some text to work with. And it's called a cold read because it's the first time that you're actually doing the text. You do not have... They basically do it 10, 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes before you actually go into the room. Um, or in your worst case scenario, 
the director will give you a cold read in the room for you to do the best you can. And I just want to jump in for a second and say, usually when they do that, when they give you something right, right at the last minute, here, can, here, can I see you do this? Would you mind doing this? No, we're not at all. Good. They want to see if you can make a choice, a strong mm-hmm. choice. Doesn't have to be the right choice. Okay. It'd be nice if it was, mm-hmm. you know, coming from the circumstances you can glean the, from quickly on the page that you've mm-hmm. just scanned. But they just want to see if you can make a strong choice, because if you can make a strong choice, they'll say, that was great. Now, can you do it this way? Mm-hmm. And then you do it that way with a strong choice, the way they want you to see it. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to stand up there with your dick in your p- hands, if you will, <laughs> yeah. uh, do you know what I mean? Going, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do here. Uh, I'm scared. Well, thanks. Bye. <laughs> you understand what I mean? Yes. I mean, it's. It's always it's always scary though. Um, I mean, because you 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 always have that little in in, in the back brain that 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 mouth that judge. She said, "Oh, you're actually doing this." That's always there. It'll always be there. I feel It'll like always, yeah, always yeah. always be there. You just have to you know you just have to shut it up. You just have to say, "Yeah, it's you again." Yeah, shut up. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. you. Know? I, I'm not following you. I just hear you. Yeah. Right. Okay. So um, before we wrap this up. Um, we we have a little exercise that we would like to do. So I um, <coughs> emailed Sharon one scene from one of my favorite plays that she actually introduced to me, and I've adored this play. Um, it's called. It's, you may, if you're into theater, you may know it. It's called Long Day's Journey into Night by Eugene O'Neill. Um, this play was published um, after his death. Uh, I think three years after his death. If if mm-hmm. if I'm two or three years somewhere Something like around that. that. Yeah. Um, people say that he left a note to his then wife to publish this play. Twenty five years. Is that correct? That's after correct. His he, took death. To his, he took it to his publisher in New York, and he put one copy in the publisher's vault, and he said. This cannot be published for 25 years after I die because it's too raw and it's too painful. Well, after he died, not long after he died, it was two years. Carlotta, his wife, then his third wife and his longest wife, had no intention of letting her husband's legacy linger that long. So she had a second copy of it and took it up to Yale uh, Press up there. And uh, they had it published. And then it was done in Stockholm for the first time. Mm. And... And just uh, can you t- tell us a brief uh, 10 second, 15 second summary of what this play is about? It's, it's a tragedy of a family who cannot move past the past. Mm-hmm. Of, of the past is the present and the future. Mm. It's four characters, two sons, a father, a mother. Mother has a horrible, horrible physical ailment. She's a morphine addict. That, uh, and this was back in 1912. Uh, the father is uh, an alcoholic, but he's a famous actor that he kind of sold his soul for, if you will, for the big commercial success. Uh, the two sons are disillusioned. The oldest, Jamie, is a dis- disillusioned actor. The youngest, Edmund, is a dreamer, mm-hmm. uh, a sensitive dreamer, disillusioned as well a little bit. But he, we learned that he has consumption. He has tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so it is a, it, basically it's a family that is mired in the past who cannot let go. And it's, and, and the guilt, and it's a, it's a great mixture of, 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 of guilt, rage, pain, and love, I think. And one more question before we dive in. Um, how true is this story? It's pretty true. Mm -hmm. This was based on his uh, pretty much based. This is pretty true. Pretty the circumstances true. are pretty, pretty true. Pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah they're pretty um, accurate. Okay, so. Uh, That's about it. So <laughs> we're going to read uh, Act 3. Uh, in Act 3, there's just one scene. So Act 3, Scene 1. Um, this is, uh, can you give us a little summary of what's going on right now, Sharon? Well, uh, it's, uh, as I said, Mary, it's, it, Mary just came back from rehab. Everybody was hoping she'd stay off the morphine. Uh, it is with increasing alarm that they've discovered that's not happening. So, uh, also Edmund is just getting ready to go up. Uh, I believe this is before he goes up to see the doctor to make sure to get the confirmation that he does have tuberculosis. So everything, all the hope, whatever hope the family was mustering in the beginning of the play is beginning to really kind of uh, decompose here a little bit. Uh, the allegiances turn. Sometimes it's the father and the one son against the other son. Sometimes it's Mary against the both sons. Sometimes it's Mary against the father. The allegiance that shift, the fights shift. Uh, as I will say, I imagine in a boxing ring, they're each in a boxing ring and they come out and there's these two are on each other and then the, these two will come out and then these three will be on one and then one will be on three. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the way the way the family dynamic works here. Uh, but I think it's important to say that even though there's this chaos in the family, there's still love, isn't it? That's why it's such a beautiful, devastating play. Because without the love that truly they had for each other, uh, it, it, it would have never stood the test of time. It would just, it, it, it was just, it wasn't. It's basically it, in a, a story of a family that due to the poor decisions that each and every one of them made came out to this brutally, brutally uh, tragedy of a family, but there's still love, isn't it there? Shannon? Yep. Well, Mary would argue that it wasn't what they've done is so much as what was done to them. Mm -hmm. So, That's, yeah. Mm -hmm. So who will you be reading for? Oh, I'll be reading Mary Tyrone, mm -hmm. the mother. And I will be reading Edmund, which is the youngest of the two sons. And that's also, you might say, that's Eugene O'Neill. Yes. That's him. Uh, but, and and if, if I remember well from your class, uh, he's taking on the the name of the brother or of the son who that died. Mary lost, right? He uh, that died. Of older brother who died. So this his is name, this is Eugene taking the name yes. of his brother that died when they were Correct. very young. Okay. Correct. Correct. So, yeah. uh, I want to remind everyone that this is a cold-ish read, even though I've read this play. Uh, I haven't had any rehearsal, so if I say a, a, a word or two wrong, please forgive me. Okay. Yeah, we will. So where do you want to take it from, hun? So uh, if we can take it from your little-ish monologue. Uh, okay, he'll sneak, sneak around. And then we'll go all the way to... Ooh. Oops, my iPad stopped working. Till Kathleen comes in. 
Uh, I have. Until Tyrone comes in. Uh, yeah, still. Uh, Ma uh, Mary says I must go upstairs. I hope. I haven't sometime. taken. I haven't taken enough. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Okay. Let's go till there. All right. Good enough. Okay. We ready? Yeah, ready. He'll sneak around to the outside cellar door so the servants won't see him. He's really ashamed of keeping his whiskey pad locked in the cellar. Your father is a very strange man, Edmund. It took many years before I understood him. You must try to understand and to forgive him too and not feel contempt because he's closed-fisted. His father deserted his mother and their six children a year or so after they came to America. He told them that he had a premonition he would die soon and that he was homesick for Ireland and wanted to go back there to die. So he went back and he did die. He must have been a peculiar man too. Your father had to go to work in the machine shop when he was only 10 years old. Oh, for Pete's sake, Mama. I've heard Papa tell the machine shop story 10,000 times. Yes, dear. You've had to listen but I don't think you've ever tried to understand. Listen, Mama, you're not so far gone yet. You've forgotten everything. You haven't asked me what I found out this afternoon. Don't you care a damn? Don't say that. You hurt me, dear. What if God is serious, Mama? Doc Hardy knows for sure now. That lying old quack. I warned you he'd invent something he to- called in a specialist to examine me so he'd be absolutely sure. Don't tell me about Hardy. If you heard the doctor at the sanatorium who really knows something, if you heard what he said about how he treated me, he ought to be locked up. He said it was a wonder I hadn't gone mad. I told him that I had once, the time I ran down in my nightdress to throw myself off the dock. You remember that, don't you? And you want me to pay attention to what Doc, Doc Hardy says? Oh, no. I remember. All right. I was right after that Papa and Jamie decided they couldn't hide it from me anymore. Jamie told me. I called him a liar. I tried to punch him in the nose, but I knew he wasn't lying. God, it made everything in life seem rotten. Oh, don't, my baby. You hurt me so dreadfully. I'm sorry, Mama. It was you who brought it up. Listen, Mama, I'm going to tell you whether you want to hear it or not. I've got to go to the sanatorium. Go away. No, I won't have it. How dare Doc Hardy advise such a thing without consulting me? How dare your father allow him? What right is he? You are my baby. Let him attend to Jamie. I know why he wants to send you to a sanatorium, to take you away from me. He's always tried to do that. He's been jealous of every one of my babies. He kept finding ways to make me leave them. That's what caused Eugene's death. He's been jealous of you most of all. He knew I loved you most because... Oh, stop talking crazy, can't you, Mama? Stop trying to blame him. And why are you so against my going away now? I've been away a lot, and I've never noticed it broke your heart. I'm afraid you're not very sensitive after all. You might have guessed, dear, that after I knew you knew about me, I had to be glad... Whenever you weren't where you could see me. Mama, don't. All this talk about loving me, and you won't even listen when I try to tell you how sick. 
not now. That's enough. I don't care to hear because I know it's nothing but Hardy's ignorant lies. You, you're so like your father, dear. You love to make a scene out of nothing so you can be dramatic and tragic. <laughs> if I gave you the slightest encouragement, you'd, you'd tell me next that you were going to die. People do die of it. Your own father. I didn't mention him. There's no comparison at all with you. He had consumption. I hate you when you become gloomy and morbid. I forbid you to remind me of my father's death. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, Mama. I wish to God I didn't. It's pretty hard to take at times having a dope spleen that's for a mother. Forgive me, Mama. I, I was angry. You hurt me. Just listen to that awful foghorn and the bells. Why is it that fog makes everything sound so sad and lost, I wonder? I, I can't stay here. I don't want any dinner. I must go upstairs. I haven't taken enough. I hope someday, without meaning it, I will take an overdose. I could never do it deliberately. The Blessed Virgin Mary would never forgive me then. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I know that's one of your dream roles, isn't it, Sharon? Well, yeah, that ship has sailed, I think, Diego, but yes, okay. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, so, Sharon, um, if you, I mean, you won't, I mean, hopefully no one will pick this in, an, in, in this scene in an acting class because, you know, the, the pros are just not of age or anything. But if we were in an acting class and we were discussing this scene and you have read the play, I have read the play, um, what, what does this scene give us or can tell us about this, the relationship between the two of them and anything from each individual character what can we take what, what's the takeaway from that scene well I, guess, I think we said it before it's the love uh, of course it's a re, it, it's reoccurring motifs in this play denial and guilt uh, the, 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 the characters are loaded with denial guilt anger and love mm -hmm. and and how it manifests itself and it sounds like boring well gee you know a long play with all that that's all that goes on well of course not really but it, it it depends on how it manifests itself and of course the history of the family and the reality of the truth of the situation is just really i mean it's incredibly it's incredible seriously mm -hmm. uh, uh you know and the fact that he was this famous actor of the day do you, do you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. and his wife was a morphine addict i mean it, it's it's pretty incredible uh i think you know just listening to the scene you know she doesn't she can't even come to the reality of her father anytime one thing o'neill does that i so beautifully in this and it was in that scene uh fog is a major motif in the play both mm -hmm. the fog outside because it's in new england right on mm -hmm. the on the coast and the fog inside of, of of the brains of particularly of mary as she get as she's getting higher and higher on morphine during the course of the day so when 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 
when you had a line there as Edmund and when, you know, it's pretty bad having a dope fiend for a mother, you know, junkies, what, what mm -hmm. he's called, right. Which is pretty cruel. And then her, one of her next lines is that foghorn is the, the fog, the foghorn. So, you know, the, You'll notice where O'Neill makes a reference to the foghorn that breaks through her reality, her fog, mm -hmm. for just a minute, and then and then it all kind of comes back on. I mean, I, I really think it's a beautiful play and beautifully written. I do too, and um, we forgot to mention this, but um, they are all Irish, aren't they? Oh, they're all oh, absolutely. And yeah. uh, you, we can one of the takeaways. I mean. We know it from the beginning of the scene, but if you're only um, analyzing the scene, you can tell they are very religious or uh, Catholic in a way. Is that well, correct? Well, they, well, certainly the boys were raised Catholic. They're they're not Catholic at all. They they don't practice religion at all. Tyrone, as he confesses in the play, is a bad Catholic. He still has his faith, and Mary is trying desperately to hang on to her faith. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things that we learned from the play is that she was destined to be a nun. Is that correct? Well, she thought she was going to be a nun. There's some. She wanted. She thought she wanted to be a nun. She want. Actually, she said she wanted to be a nun. Mm -hmm. And she talked to the nun, who uh, when she was in high school, you know, I want to be a nun. And the nun said, "Well, before you decide to do this, go out in the world, mm -hmm. live your life for a couple of years, and then if you really want to do it, you'll come back." Mm -hmm. Of course, that's when she met James Tyrone mm -hmm. and married him, and that was the end of the nun. I do, I do think. Um, I mean, uh, Edmund's it's one of my dream roles. I've done uh, his famous monologue in class before, and uh, I've analyzed this monologue, that monologue from head to toe, from toe to head, everything. Uh, all this. Uh, wh I think one of the the, the best things that uh, O'Neill does in this play, in this play, is. Uh, the use of images, and uh, if you're a uh, you know a Chekhovian actor, or you will use that images uh, when you are analyzing this play and this and this uh, and the characters. Uh, and oh yes, that's a that's one thing that maybe we didn't talk about so much because we were fo focusing on the the words and the dialogue so much. But imagery is extremely important, and how a uh, playwright uses it. Shakespeare uses a lot of animal imagery usually to correlate man's bestial bestial mm -hmm. tendencies with animals, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, imagery is really important. And an actor actually conveys images mm -hmm. using words. We use words, but they're really images that we're mm -hmm. conveying. And then we, we, we use those images to um, put them into action in Correct. a way. And that's how we uh, like we started. We, we started talking that we it first starts starts in the head, and then it goes down into your body until okay. you start you know uh, physicalizing it. Um, but yeah, I think it's been lovely talking to you again, Sharon. Um, well, thank you, Diego. I forgot to mention that uh, Sharon was my script analysis professor back in my freshman year. Surprise! So uh, <laughs> it's it's always. <coughs> It's always good to, especially in, uh, in a conservatory, uh, to take time and uh, talk to your professors after class because yes. uh, they are definitely a great source of knowledge. And most of them are still professionals in their field. And, uh, you know, as an actor, you, you need the, the more knowledge you have, the better actor you will be. 
So it's been nice to come back and as a junior now, seeing everything I've grown as an actor and have that little chat again with you. It's been it's been a blessing. Diego, thank you so much. And you know, um, it it you know as a as a as an instructor here, I, I don't know. Does the cockles in me heart very good to know that uh, what I'm putting out, you're buying. If you get what I mean, mm-hmm. that you're 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 actually taking what I what I'm trying to impart uh, in script analysis class, and uh, your in your in your life as an actor, and I'm thrilled with that. I am, and that's one of the reasons why I reached out to you, because um, uh, I mean we had we only take script analysis for one semester here at Point Park, and I felt <coughs> like there was still so much that I that I could have gotten if I would have taken another semester with you, Sharon. Um, so that's one of the reasons why, because like I said at the beginning, you do have a lot of knowledge and you are, are a great teacher. And as you all who are listening know, uh, will, like, I mean, have experience. She's great with words. That's why she's a script analysis professor. <laughs> she's great with words. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank uh, you. All, I know all the listeners. Uh, thank you as well, because I think it was a great chat, and I feel like us as an as actors sometimes need to go back to the beginning of the root of the script analysis or the root of the craft in order to be able to keep growing. So I thank you very very much. You're welcome. Um, to all the listeners, uh, thank you. Uh, just remember, uh, this is a 14 episode podcast where we take the act of craft and we tear it piece by piece. Uh, please follow us in our social media and our Instagram, LT Acting Podcast, LT Acting Podcast, and send us any questions. Uh, at the end of the 14-episode uh, series, we will have a Q&A where we will answer all the questions that you have with some professionals. So thank you again, Sharon. Thank you again. I know I've said this a lot, but I, you don't know how grateful I am for you to take some time off and share some knowledge with us. So Say thank it you. in Spanish for me, and then it'll be complete. <laughs> Will do. Thank you, Sharon. And all of you, have a good day, good night, whatever thank time you're you. listening. Thank you, honey. Good night.